Ronananian. I think Uber needs to come up with a certification program. I think Uber needs to certify their cars or mechanically sound. The car doctor. Uber is counting on the driver, counting on the mechanic working on it. But what if the mechanic working on it, like we all know there's bad mechanics, what if he's an idiot? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, maybe it's a sign of the times of how gullible you are to get good or bad auto repair. Hello and welcome, Ronnie Nini and the car doctor. Uh, you know, it's 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 funny, right? Um, you, you start to notice things as you drive around neighborhoods, and the neighborhood I've been driving around is mine. I've been driving around it a long time, and you see new signs go up. And recently, a repair shop opened, and it says... Now, think about this. ASE certified master mechanic. You know what it takes to become an ASE certified master tech? And Okay, you've got to sit down. You've got to take eight written tests, and you have to pass anywhere from 50, 50 questions to 200 questions, depending upon the area of expertise and whether you're recertifying or certifying. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of knowledge. It's not, it's not easily done. You just don't walk in and knock it off. It's the equivalent of becoming, well, getting a master's or maybe a doctorate in auto repair. ASE Master Auto Technician, grand opening, 1699 oil change special. I mean, it's the equivalent of taking a thoroughbred racehorse and sending him out to do kiddies parties to, for kids to ride around on with a clown. Uh, you know, what's, what's the point? What are you saying there? And then who actually would go to somebody like that? Would you go to somebody like that? Would you really want somebody like that to be your mechanic? that he doesn't think enough of what he does, that he's got a bargain basement discounted. You couldn't buy the oil for any car today for sixteen ninety nine, much less do the change. And then how long will that guy be in business? Subsequently, I've got to say, the grand opening sign has been up there for about four months now, maybe five, so I guess this is still the grand opening, and there wasn't a lot of people there. The crowd didn't really exist. And my theory is that that's partly because the person that's looking for good, cheap, auto repair isn't really got the right mindset. They're not looking for the right perspective of what it takes to fix cars because fixing cars is a very expensive proposition today. We all know that. We've experienced it. I think the majority of you don't have a problem with expensive repair. I think a lot of you have a problem with expensive, poorly done repair. That's what the issue is. You're willing to pay for it and you just you want to pay Fair pricing, I'm not saying to overpay, but you're not looking to cheap it out. You're not going to take your $50,000, whatever it is you're driving, and the average car today is between 40 and 50 grand, and a 1699 oil change? Is it the right type? Is it the right viscosity? How much oil is it? What brand is the filter? What are they doing when they do the oil change? Are they looking it over? Are they just blowing through it and getting out the door to try and upsell you? Because of this, I know. All right. Having done this business for the past 45 plus years, I've lost track. All right. There's certain things that are that are indeterminate, that are, uh, you know, uh, undeterminable or um, unmovable would be the word. And that is the mortgage, the rent, the, the lights, the insurance, the fixed expenses of what it takes to be in business. And you're not going to cover those fixed expenses, never mind expand and buy new equipment 
by doing 1699 oil changes. You got to be an idiot to use the guy, and he's got to be an idiot for putting up the sign. Oh, my God. It's going to be a great two hours today, folks. We're doing a bunch of things. We're giving away a $25 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. I don't know which hour. I leave that up to my professors on the other side of the glass, Tom and Mikey. They'll be telling me. We're giving away a couple of copies of Steve Cook's books, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. You think I should say that three times fast? OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. That's not bad for a... For a, yeah, it's okay. You know, I just woke up from my nap. I'm a little cranky today. And I'm here, of course, to answer your questions or whatever they might be. Commentary. You want to talk about the signs of the times? You know, do you trust the sign from the mechanic that says, hey, I'll work cheaper than anybody just to lure you in the door because I know you're stupid and I can upsell you and sell you all the stuff you don't really need to make up for the loss on the oil change? God, it's like going to a fast food place expecting a good meal. Let's get on over and talk to Tim in Chico, California, 12 Nissan Frontier. Tim. How are you, sir? How Hello? can I help? Yes, sir. What's going on? Yeah, help me with my terminology. So I, I, on this Nissan Frontier, when I cycle between um, recirculate on the air conditioning or heating, uh, and then when I take it out of the recirculate mode to fresh air mode, I get four rhythmic clicks, evenly spaces, click, 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 click. Okay. And then, and then it functions normally. Everything works beautifully. I could tolerate the sound of apparently other people have on all Nissan truck related products. This is uh, apparently an issue, but none of the information online seems to line up with my exact model. And, and so I'm kind of stuck on terminology. <laughs> well, I think you explained it really well. I, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit, brother, for not having ever worked on one. You, you, I'm assuming you haven't. It, it, you're describing it correctly. It's a ratcheting mechanical kind of sound, like a tap, 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 tap. And then all of a sudden it frees up and it starts to work or it, the noise goes away. What, what, what's, what's happening is you ever, you ever play with slot cars as a kid or you ever take apart like um, um, it's just a little plastic actuator with little gears in it. And what, yep. hap what happens is those plastic gears are, are, are notched or worn, and they're getting stuck in a particular position. There's not a lot of power that the actuators have. They don't, you know, they can't overcome something sticky, stuck. They're just there. It's supposed to be a, a free movement operation. And what you're hearing is you're hearing the chatter of the actuator working against itself or working against the door, that, whichever one it is, that it's trying to open or close. So, yeah, you know, as long as it's working okay, for now, you're okay. The real question is, when does it fail? And, you know, which, which exact actuator is it? If it's recirc outside air, you can probably get away with that a little bit longer than if it were heat or, you know, left, right, top, bottom, middle type of a thing. So, yeah. you know, that's a little bit more, you know, you could, you could deal with that on a higher level. The question is, when will it break? So, and yeah, go ahead. Started. Go ahead, right. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't get you, Tim. Say that again. It, it, just, it just started, so I'm, right. I'm in the early days. So there's no real harm in letting it fail to completely um, other than I won't be able to select that mode. Correct. And there's there's no real harm in it provided you've got the right actuator that it is, that it really is research. And it sounds like it is, um, but I've got to caution you. It's probably against my religion to say that I know it's broken on the car and I'm going to keep driving it. So you're asking the wrong guy for, for penance <laughs> to say, yes, yes, your almighty may, I, you know, and I'm going to sprinkle some, you know, some windshield washer fluid on you and give you the sign of absolution. It just kind of doesn't work. It's, you know, yes, my son, go forward and uh, hopefully it starts tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's broke. 
What I think you've got to look at, my perspective in all seriousness, is the car has given you a great gift. All right? It's telling yeah. you it's telling you what's broke. Now you can go get some current pricing in your neck of the woods and see what you know, see what it's gonna to cost to fix. Because maybe it's worth it to get it fixed now and then you know, you, you don't have the problem later on when it's an emergency, you're you're you know, because it's going to break at the worst possible time. You just know it. Uh, you know, unless you're going to tell me, hey, Ron, I think in three months I'm getting rid of the truck. That's eh, a different conversation. All right. I can see not spending the money right now this second. All right, sir. Um, one more question. Sure. It's up. It requires dash removal, according to Internet information. Yes. And and so um, in order in order to try to get um, replacement estimates or repair estimates, you know, without paying a diagnosis to each one, you know, you think I can convince them with this information that, you know, it, it is what it is and, and get a, a repair estimate without a diagnosis? I think any repair shop worth their salt that you're trying to work with, or, you know, I assume you don't have a steady mechanic, you don't have a steady mechanic, Tim? Oh, I have several I work with, yeah, Okay. different things. I, I would think that, you know, within their own right, if you walked up to them and said, hey, guys, you know, uh, what do you think it would cost to put this actuator in if it were bad, all right? And, mm -hmm. I, and I think if they're working with you and they've got a relationship with you, they should be able to turn around and say, hey, Tim, it's six hours at, you know, seven tomatoes an hour, whatever the going rate is for that repair shop, and they should be able to give you an estimate. But they should also cap it in all fairness to them, and I know you want to be fair to them, too, by saying, provided that's the piece, we need we need an hour of time to, to, to prove that it's that actuator. And I think that's a yep. reasonable request also, or, or whatever they think they need, an hour, two hours, et cetera, uh, you know, whatever. And I think that's a pretty much a standard general approach. Listen, I had a guy this week, I'll tell you the story real quick. I had a guy this week, I haven't seen, I, I don't know Jeff from Boo. He bought a Mustang from his brother, which right away could be a problem. All right, his brothers go, I can tell you. So he bought a used Mustang from his brother. It's 15 years old, and it sat in Chicago for a couple of weeks, which I believe is really months because judging by the amount of rust underneath the car, Chicago being the snowy state that it is with the rust and the corrosion, I'm like, yeah, this car has sat a while. We gave him an estimate this week of $4,400. I thought he was going to fall over. And my, my point is, you know, here's what the car needs. And I kind of laid it out in a, in, a, in, a, in a menu. I said, you know, here's what it needs now. Here's what I think it's going to need in three to six months. Here's what, I, it, here's what I see it needing in the next year. Trying to lay out the whole picture. Um, it probably took me 45 minutes to an hour to write that estimate and another 15, 20 minutes on the phone. In, in all honesty, I owed him that because he paid me to do a checklist of what kind of shape is the car in. My obligation is to give him answers so he can make a better decision. My point is, if your repair shop, whoever you're talking to, if you've been working with them, and you know maybe they're going to give you the quick 10-minute estimate, but once they diagnose it and you pay them money for that diagnosis, I think they owe you some form of, that's their obligation by the virtue of the contract you created by paying them for the diagnosis, right? They're, they're obligated yep. to give you a diagnosis and an estimate. Perfect, perfect way to end the day. All right, kiddo. Thank you. You're very welcome. You take good care, Tim. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the reality of auto repair, but definitely not sixteen ninety nine for oil changes. That much I can tell you. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Annie, the car doctor. I'll be right back after this. Don't go away.
What's more fun than listening to Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Ken in Maryland. Ken, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hello? Yes, sir. Ken, you're on. Yeah, you talked about the solar tires last week. Okay. What's uh, What don't you like about them? Because I got them on two cars that I find them uh, pretty good tires. Well, you're probably one of the few then. I uh, let me let me say it like this, based on personal experience, and it's not even based on my experience, Ken, because I could just sit here and say, Ken, I think they're junk and hang up, but I won't do that. I'll tell you why. Because out of my two salesmen in the tire business, one from two, each two separate warehouses, each one of them tells me stay away from solar tires because they don't last, they don't seem to hold together, and they're made overseas and they're not of a good quality and a known reputation. So I kind of take that as stock and trade. When someone walks in but with a tire... They're not made by China. They're made over in Japan. They're a Japanese tire manufacturer. No, no, we're talking about a different tire than the solar tire I saw was made in China. Because this one's made by the um, Sumitomo. It's called the Sumito. Yeah, su- no, Sumito- uh, Sumitomo. Company. Right. No, the solar. Yeah, that's the tire company that claims they make solar tires. Right. So maybe well, we're talking about different things then. Right. Well, we're talking about two different things because the solar tire I saw was made in China, and that's part of the problem. China has invaded the country now with auto parts, and they're just taking name brands from different different tires, different manufacturers calling it the same thing so it looks like the same thing and that was the whole danger of the issue that I spoke about because it looks like a, it looks like it's a good quality component but it's not right because it says made in China on it and now the problem is go sue China let me know who you're going to talk to you know and that's and that's the issue all right huh. and that's the issue so, but solar right, tires. They also make high end tires, too, when they claim that company, too. Right, now I haven't seen By those. By the same name, I guess, too. Right, and I haven't seen those. And then the other issue is, as I always say, auto repair is a national occurrence with regional issues. Certain tires, certain parts, we'll say it like that, are, are distributed in different places around the country, depending upon relationships. You know, it used to be, I'll give you an example, it used to be years ago, we used to get Wagner brake pads by the truckload. Very easy to find. It's, I now have Wagner brake pad available to me only through one warehouse, and that's it. Where they used to be distributed through four or five, one. And why does that happen? Uh, you know, I don't know. When I look at auto parts, I look at where are they coming from, who's the company, what's the brand, what's the reputation, and probably more important now in the last couple of years since the Chinese invasion is where are they made. Now, if, right. if, if Wagner sells me a brake pad, Wagner Wagner, really Wagner from St. Louis, Missouri, sells me a brake pad that they're making in China and bringing over here, I'm okay with that, all right? And I'm not saying that's what's occurring, but I'm okay with that scenario because I know who I'm going to go talk to when I have a problem. When somebody brings me a tire that they purchased online that says solar tire made in China, who am I going to go talk to? More importantly, yeah, if, if it I says made in China, I guess you got to believe they're made in China. Right, and then you know, Ken, if that was your car and you brought me that tire and I put it on, the tire blows out, you get killed. Your widow and your lawyer are going to come and talk to my insurance company. Let's see, are they going to go to China? No, they're going to go to the guy that installed it. They're going to go to the easiest point of lawsuit. And that's why they can't be here, and that's why they shouldn't be here, and that's the danger we're all falling into because we're all going under the assumption, like you did, hey, it's solar tire made in, made in Japan. It's not. It's solar tire made in China. 
And All right, Ron, good answer. I'm glad uh, I spoke to you today uh, on that. Uh, hey, I'm in the running for your book you're giving away or what? Uh, not yet. Tom says too early. Tom's thinking about oh, it. Oh, all right. Call him in 20 minutes and yell at him, all right? All right. All right, Ken. Good luck to you. Talk good question. You You're very welcome. Yeah, Tom, what, uh, you, know, you know, we should have asked Ken, does he have a car story? That's the other thing. We need a Christmas. Well, we don't need a Christmas car story, but we kind of want, like, I could tell you my Christmas car story. You want to know what my Christmas car story is? Just the one about the family truckster? No, this isn't the one about the family truckster. You know, you, you, talk about, you talk about Christmas, right? I've got to tell you, the first, the first, my earliest memories of cars has to be, the Christmas car story has to be, um, they loaded you up in the back of Dad's station wagon. Dad had like a 62 Ford Galaxy wagon, and you got shuffled out of the house in Dumont, New Jersey, wearing your little feety pajamas, right? You're, little, you're probably five years old, right? You got loaded into the back. They always took you over to Uncle Steve's. You always notice how you go over to your family and, and wearing your PJs, right? It's not, it's not too traumatizing, right? They stage up in front of all the relatives, the big kids who are like three, four years older, and you're there in your feety pajamas and your bunny suit. You know, it's, oh, and, and, and you know, and, and I remember... And that's why I got to tell you, when you see that thing on, when you see that, that piece on Facebook where everybody talks about how we didn't wear seatbelts and we survived in the back of station wagons, I remember that because I did. I survived in the back of a station wagon with my brother and sister bouncing around, my father doing, you know, the speed, you know, hurry up, we got to get to Uncle Steve's because we were always late. Um, and you'd get there and you'd, you'd, get, you'd walk in and by the time you got carried out after Santa Claus came um, and once in a while it was snowing or wet and, you know, it was a good time. You know, it family memories. And it was always cold in the back of that station wagon. It was always very metallic, right? Because everything was metal. Uh, the, floor, the, the, the floorboards were metal. The sides were metal because those were real cars. That was my perception. I thought you were supposed to wear feety pajamas in the back of a station wagon. I thought that's the way it worked. I went out on a date when I was 18. Well, that's, I'll tell you that story another time. 855-560-9900. Running into the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. Doctor, just a reminder, we'll be going to giving away a $25 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know, last-minute Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, or maybe you need something for yourself. O'Reilly Auto Parts is the place. O'ReillyAuto.com will be doing that $25 gift card sometime uh, in this show. Yes, Tom? You know, you, before we went to the break, you were talking about the back of the station wagon. My father had a 64 Ford Falcon. I remember going up to New Hampshire in that. You're right. It was metal all over the place. We had this little rubber pad on it. And you just bounce around like a ping pong ball. Well, even worse, or, or, or even worse, my father was in the rug business in the '60s, so you know he would he 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 tried. To, my father tried to carpet everything. All right, I mean everything was wall to wall carpeting because that's yeah, he was in the carpet business. And you know what happens if you put a piece of carpeting on the back of a Ford station wagon with a metal bottom and you put three kids on it? You sit at the traffic light when he pulled away, you slid right. It was like a sleigh ride on a piece of carpet, whoosh, right to the back. And then if he braked too hard, it would slam forward and, and right into the back seat. Right into the back seat. Yeah, it just it just so but, it wasn't. But you know you, you can't do that. You, you can't sit there and look out and make faces at the cars behind you anymore. It just doesn't work in today's vehicles because they there's no you have to. Turn around to do it, and you're in a seatbelt. Well, you do. 
But if your kids, you know, as long, you know, and this is not a holiday car story, but this is a kid car story. So one day we were taking, um, we went to see a Yankees game, all right? And it was probably one of the first times I was taking one of the kids um, with, with the guys. It was my middle one, my Army kid. And uh, I probably should have known how tough she was going to grow up to be, right? She's um, hanging out the, the, the back of the wagon on the GW Bridge. Um, people were giving, people were like, somehow they, somehow they learned the Bronx cheer, all right? And she was joining in. This little 10-year-old kid hanging out the back of the wagon, giving everybody the Bronx cheer. And I'm driving along like, why is everybody waving at me? Like, what's going on? And finally, I caught the action in the rearview mirror. Boy, did we have a conversation when we got home. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Somehow that doesn't surprise yeah, me. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, right? Look what the kid grew up to be. She's doing so good. Let's go and talk to Cheryl in Maine. Cheryl, thanks for allowing me to rant a little bit. And uh, how can I help you in your 09 Subaru? Well, the uh, tire pressure tire pressure indicator light is lit. It stays lit. And we've checked the air pressure in the tires. They're fine. Okay. Um, anybody do any kind of... Any other diagnosis to this? No, I haven't taken it back yet. I was just curious as to whether. All right. As as long as there is no sensor in the spare, and I don't believe yours does. I've never seen a Subaru, nor to my knowledge, I don't believe Subaru puts uh, uh, tire pressure sensors in the spare tire. As long as you're setting tire pressure to within 15% of placard, so if the placard says 33 and you're setting it to 35 or 30, uh, that light should go out, so I've got to assume then there's a fault in the system. Likely okay. that the that the car is ten years old. Likely you're going to be needing a tire pressure sensor. Is is, yeah. is what this will come down to. Um, you know, yeah, it's I know. Um, you've got a, you've got a regular mechanic, an independent mechanic. You're going to take it back to the dealer, or what are you going to do with it? No, I've got a regular mechanic. Too. Okay. All right. Well, listen. All that equipment, so. Let me let me let me help you out. Stay on the line. Tom wants to send you out the twenty-five dollar O'Reilly gift card today. You can use it online at O'ReillyAuto.com. It'll help you towards the purchase of a uh, of a tire pressure sensor for your car. And we just want to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from the car doctor. So uh, stay on the line and let Tom uh, let Tom get your information. And we can go from there. Okay. Good. Thank you. You're very welcome. You take good care. Um, I'm wondering if you know we're talking about good mechanic, bad mechanic, and how to tell the difference. I'm wondering if anybody out there knows how to tell if their shop is competent and the little things you can do for it. I've got a test. You can take your car in for service. Here's the deal. And, and Cheryl reminded me of this because of her, her issue with TPMS. You know, you can take, take your car in for service, and when it comes out, walk around the car. And all I want you to do is look at the valve stems. You know where you put the air in the tire? And look to see, A, does the car have a valve stem on every tire? And B, does it have the right valve stem or right valve cap on every stem? And and, and here's the trick, and I'm going to post this up on Facebook. I've got, I've got some pictures that I want to get up on uh, on our Facebook page, Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. So any car made before 2008 and down, if it does not have a tire pressure monitoring system, if it doesn't have TPMS, we'll have the old traditional black cap. Sports cars, BMWs, Corvettes excluded, all right, because they could be a variety of different caps. But, you know, 80%, 90% of the cars are going to have that traditional black cap. In 2008, when the government mandated that all cars have tire pressure monitoring systems on them, 
Now we've created, and, and, and the first go-round, naturally, was a mistake because tire pressure monitoring system cars all had a metal valve stem with a metal cap. Any, somebody raise their hand and tell me, what happens when you put a metal cap on a metal stem, drive it through snow, slush, sleet, chemical, and rain? It corrodes and sticks to the sensor or sticks to the, to the metal stem, right? So you can't take it off. So there was a bulletin that came out industry-wide that talked about we've now gotten rid of the metal cap and we've converted to either an aluminum cap that won't rust or corrode or, which was, and this is the one I like, a gray plastic cap. And the difference between that gray plastic cap and the older style black cap, in case you didn't know, is turn that gray cap over. There's a little red rubber seal in it. That red rubber seal helps keeps moisture out from going down the stem and corroding the valve stem. And if the because if the valve stem corrodes, sticks, stuck, leaks, then you've got to change that what could be a hundred dollar tire pressure sensor. So that little seven cent gray plastic cap saves you the price of a tire pressure sensor replacement. So your car so now you know your car should either have a black cap if it's an older system on a large scale. Or it should have a gray plastic cap that if you take it off, it's got a little red insert in it. That That is what I was always taught and what I believe and what we do is the right way to do it. If it's a GM product with a tire pressure sensor on it, it's going to have a black cap, but oh, roughly two or two and a half times the size of a traditional valve cap. It's a big, long, elongated thing. You'll see it in the picture when I get it up on Facebook after the show today. All right? And they should have that. Now, I've got to be honest. Why GM has to make their caps bigger, I don't know. But it's GM. Anything's possible. You don't know how they're thinking. All right? Um, but they put those on their rubber stems. All right? Because then we switched to rubber stems because then we decided the metal stems were no good. The point is, now you know there's, there's, there's one of three, right? It's either, it's either black, it's gray, or aluminum, or the big giant black hat. It'd look like a big, tall beanie. The point is... Your car, after it comes out for service, I don't care if it went in for windshield wipers or, or, or a fluid check or a seasonal checklist or definitely with tires or brakes. You know, if they're working on the car, I think they're obligated to common sense safety check. If somebody brings a car into a repair shop with a check engine light on and the check engine light gets diagnosed and repaired, all right, and they see that, I think it's a sign of a, of a, of a, a shop that is detail-oriented, paying attention to the small stuff, because that's what auto repair is, and to put the proper cap on. I think that shop is also obligated if you haven't had some form of a seasonal checklist. You go in for a check engine light on. They've been working on the car for two years, and it's gone 30,000 miles, and you haven't allowed them to do a safety checklist. I think you're obligated to let them do that. So it goes both ways. But do that the next time your car goes in for service. Walk around the cap. Look at the tires. Look at the valve caps. What's on there? Does it have one? Is it the right one? And then maybe you can go back and have a conversation. Maybe you got a good shop and you don't even know it. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Don't go away. back on the end of the car doctor. Let's take a ride out to Southern California and talk to Neil. Neil, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, I have a question regarding uh, changing uh, tire sizes on uh, uh, Volkswagen Touregs. Okay. I, I have a uh, 
or it had a 2012 that got smashed by a tree, and it had 20-inch wheels on it. And I just bought a 2016 uh, Touareg, same basic vehicle, and it has 18-inch wheels on it. And I'm going to put the 20-inch wheels on the on the new vehicle. And my question is, does will that impact the accuracy of the speedometer? Or and if so, do you need to make adjustments of any kind? Okay, and and this this the way I'm going to answer this, Neil is is probably a generic answer across the board because I, I take every time I get confronted with this on a case by case basis. Um, can you can you change those tires? Can you put the twenties on in place of the eighteens? And will it affect speedometer accuracy? The answer is likely. As long as they fit and clear, you can put them on, but they will affect speedometer accuracy to a degree. The bigger concern is you're also going to be affecting anti-lock brake operation, stability control, and, and all the safety features that are built into the vehicle if, if, if it's not calibrated to accommodate that different diameter because this is about rolling diameter of the tire. Now... Whether the manufacturer allows for, if 20s were ever an option on that newer vehicle, then I'm sure that you can go in using Volkswagen factory scan tool and accommodate for that, that tire change, all right? So you may want to talk to the dealer. Did they ever put 20s on whatever you got, whatever the new one is, if it's a if it's a, uh, um, a, a 16 or an 18, whatever it is. But, you know, did they ever put 20s on that as an optional size? Then, yes, then I'm sure it's in the programming. The other way to do it, which can be a unique experience too, is to you know figure out what the diameter of that of that twenty is and the diameter of the eighteen, and just put a lower profile tire on the twenty inch wheel. It can look kind of cool. Um, it'll yeah. ride it'll ride a little harder because there's less sidewall. All right, there's there's less given the sidewall, but it might look kind of neat on a. We could turn it into a hot rod at that point, make a hot rod Volkswagen out of it. Um, right. You know, but yeah, you you can. There's a couple of ways to do it, but keep in mind it's more than just speedometer that you're affecting. You're going to be affecting a lot of the calculations on the way the vehicle runs, speed, vehicle stability, braking, transmission shift point, because everything's calculated off vehicle speed. Yeah, it's not it's it's not simple stuff anymore. Hasn't been for a long time. Right. So. Okay. Well, I appreciate I appreciate the input on that. Um, Although I live in California, I visit Maine for three months out of every year, and I listen to your show every Sunday back there. Well, thank you, sir. You know, if, if you want to still, if you, if you have the ability, and I think we just picked up, I think, I don't know where you are in Southern California, but I thought we just picked up another affiliate down in Eureka, in Eureka, California. I think that's Southern California. I don't know if that's anywhere near where you're at. Um, no, that's, that's way north. Yeah, okay. And then... Um, uh, you can stream us. If you go to cardoctorshow.com, you can stream the show or podcast us. And uh, we're working on it. You know what? We want to be everywhere, and that's the goal. We're uh, we're working with our syndicator to get us in, into more places. But I thank you for the kind words, sir. All right. Well, thank you very much for your help. You're very welcome. Good luck to you, and Merry Christmas. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor is going to pull over, take a pause. He'll be back right after this. Back, running into the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Steve in New Hampshire. Steve, I got two and a half minutes. What's going on, babe? Yeah, hello. Yes, sir. Hi, Vaughn. How yes, are you doing? Good, sir. What's going on? 
Not too much. Listen, I knew you got you got you were just talking about tire pressure um, stems and tire pressure monitor sensors. I just wanted to share this with everybody else out there. Sure. I made the mistake of removing the rubber caps on the valve stems and installing some nice chrome ones. I think they were made of aluminum. Well, <laughs> went to add air to the tire maybe uh, two months later, and they had fused to the valve stem. Yep. I tried getting them off uh, and ended up breaking the entire TPMS and had to replace all four. Right, and that's so. Yeah, and you know, so it got expensive real quick, right? The ones I'm talking yep. about, the aluminum ones I'm talking about, the industry uses actually has a coating on the inside, a release agent. So not yes. every aluminum cap is made the same, but it's an issue. What'd you end right. up doing? You had to put sensors yes. in it, right? Yep, four sensors. It was expensive. Yeah, four hundred bucks. Uh, let's see, you got the parts online and now uh, I had the uh, local tire shop do it, but, uh, it was, uh, I think they were around, uh, $50, uh, a piece. and they were good quality ones, 50 right. times four and then the, the labor to install right, yeah. on a side note, on a side note, Ron, I've always wondered this trivia wise, I've been, I'm going to consult with an MIT friend of mine. How many times do you think an engine, uh, revolves or turns? How many RPMs does an engine make in its entire lifetime? if you got 200,000 miles out of it? I don't know. I, I would have to say you'd have to calculate out that 200,000 miles at what speed and, and how and is mileage, it driven, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so I don't know that it's – it would probably have to be done more with an hour clock, all right? You know, you'll see some cars have an hour meter on them. They'll tell you how many yes. hours the vehicle's been running, but even then – I think it's I think it's yeah. got to be a calculation of at what speed is the engine running for an hour at a thousand RPM? Is it running for an hour at five thousand RPM? So sure, it, it's got to be up in the quadrillions. Right. It's you know it's <laughs> you know it's funny that and you know the gym that I go to, um, the the woman that works out across from me by the rig, Natalia, she's a math teacher. And we, we got on the subject, and they don't, they don't really know what I do there, so it's good. Um, you know, we got on the subject of cars or math, and, you know, she, she does math. She knows I do cars. And I said, so what's it like teaching math to high school kids? And she says they have absolutely no interest. And I said, what do they want to be? And she says, well, I've got two kids that want to be mechanics. And she says, but they're in math class, and they're bored to death. And I said, you know, you've got to explain to them math is, is such a predominant subject, in society today, and you want to go be a mechanic, you've got to know math or just what you're talking about. Revolutions per minute, yep. um, uh, you know, inch put pounds torque, uh, you know, just just mathematical. We use math more than uh, just running the business um, is, is a math problem some days. So, you know, it's it's you present some good questions, Steve. If you get an answer to that, there's got to be an average. There's got to be a way to calculate that. Um, I'd appreciate an answer back. We'll talk about it up here on air. But yeah, math is. Um, Math is a huge subject, and we wouldn't be anywhere without it. And, uh, we definitely wouldn't be fixing cars, driving cars, or uh, uh, creating cars um, in any way, shape, or form. Well, that was a quick hour. There's another hour to come if you're lucky enough to get it. If not, find it out on the podcast. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.